the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM and WDEVRadio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show on a Friday. We made it here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. All 90 minutes at our disposal today, and then it's Jazz with George Thomas. We're going to have Thunder Road, WDEV Thunder Road Racing Analyst Nick Mumley in studio with us in about 15 minutes to talk about this week's announcement that NASCAR star Brad Kozlowski is coming to Thunder Road in July for the Governor's Cup. An interesting question raised by our guy Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. And yes, tomorrow is finally race day for me when it comes to the big 5k we'll talk about my fi- my last minute trepidations about that as we move through the show you can get in on the napa morrisville napa waterbury text line 802-585-3026 that's your locally owned napa stores in waterbury and morrisville you can also get in on the facebook live stream youtube live and on my twitter account at wdev radio brady let's waste no time everybody and lego five four three two one and here we go the opening thoughts on the Brady farkas show are brought to you by sticks and stuff and by swanton lumber vermont's most complete locally owned home center locations in enosburg derby middlesex st albans and at swanton lumber they're online at sticksandstuff.com question for the room 802-585-3026 are the new england patriots not Super Bowl contenders for the next several years. Are the New England Patriots not Super Bowl contenders for the next several years? I asked that question because former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson said this yesterday on ESPN Radio. I don't think that they'll get to another championship under Bill Belichick anytime soon, and I don't know how much longer Bill wants to to coach, but they're going to certainly be competitive. They're going to fight for the division. They're going to be in playoff races, but I just don't see them as being a Super Bowl contending team in the next several years. Are the Patriots not Super Bowl contenders, quote, for the next several years? I have to disagree. I have to disagree with Keyshawn Johnson here. I think the Patriots being a Super Bowl contender is unlikely. I think it's highly unlikely But Keyshawn basically makes it sound impossible. It's not impossible. Now, I've been very down on the Patriots offseason. I feel generally down about them overall right now. But to say that they can't be Super Bowl contenders for several years down the road, I'm not buying that. That's not fair to say that. Even as down as I am right now, even as tough as I think the road might be, it's hard, but it's not impossible And that is essentially what Keyshawn Johnson is saying. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. These guys, Mac Jones is in their class. The key that I've been telling you all along is that the Patriots need to find a way to maximize the rookie contract that Mac Jones has, and they need to give him serious help. 
He alone, he is not good enough to carry a team to the Super Bowl. If Keyshawn Johnson had said that, I would have agreed with him. Mac Jones is not good enough to carry a team to a Super Bowl himself. He is not Superman. But while he's on his rookie contract, he doesn't have to be Superman. The Pats just have to be willing to give him every chance to get there. It's hard to make the Super Bowl. It will be hard for the Patriots to be a Super Bowl contender, but it is not impossible. You have to pull the right strings, push the right buttons, and be willing to take chances. If you can do that, you can get there in the way that Jared Goff did, in the way that Jimmy Garoppolo did. You can have the support built up in the way the Eagles did for Nick Foles. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take things the Patriots haven't traditionally done, but it is not impossible. Spend money. Spend it wisely. Draft well. Catch a few breaks. You can do it. Mac Jones has four years left on his rookie contract. Four years left. If the Patriots push the right buttons, they can be a Super Bowl contender within those next four years. I do believe that. Okay, In four years, what's going to happen? Well, Tua's not going to be on a rookie contract anymore, and therefore things get tougher for the Dolphins. Mack will still be on a rookie contract. Advantage Patriots. Russell Wilson's going to be, what, 37 years old in four years? I would take Mac Jones in the last year of his rookie contract over a 37-year-old Russell Wilson. Patrick Mahomes will then be making a gazillion dollars. Life may get harder for the Chiefs. Justin Herbert will no longer be on a rookie contract with the Chargers. Maybe the Pats gain an advantage there. Joe Burrow will no longer be on a rookie contract for the Bengals. Who knows where Lamar Jackson will be? He'll be making a gazillion dollars. I mean, if you look four years down the line, the Patriots do have that chance. That's why I'm so OCD and so anal about what they should and shouldn't be doing because I'm trying to maximize the rookie contract. Because once you don't have the rookie contract, you're effectively screwed. Historically, you have been screwed if you don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback or a quarterback on a rookie contract. I am trying to get the Patriots to the promised land while Mac Jones is on that rookie contract. If they don't win it while Mac's on the rookie contract and then they go and pay him $48 million a year or whatever, they're going to be in a dark place, I think, like the Rams were like the Niners think they are with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, like the Vikings have been with Kirk Cousins. They're going to be in that place. But if they pull the right buttons, if they are willing to take a chance, take multiple chances, then they can open up the window for themselves. It will still be hard. The AFC is that good. But Keyshawn Johnson basically calls it impossible for them to be a contender for the next several years. It's not impossible. The Rams traded for Jalen Ramsey, and they traded for Brandon Cooks. Will the Patriots take that kind of swing to help their quarterback? The Bills traded for Stephon Diggs and spent on Cole Beasley. Will the Patriots make that kind of move, those kind of moves, to help Mac Jones? Can they hit in the draft and find a George Kittle type, a Debo Samuel type, like the Niners had? I don't know. But if they can, 
then they're in a position where they can be contenders. As presently constructed today, they're the 11th best team in the AFC. 100% believe that and think that this team right now is an under 500 roster. But it doesn't have to be that way for the next several years. Take a chance. Sign someone big. Make the move. Make the call on DK Metcalf. Make the call for Tyler Lockett. Hit in the draft. I saw Joe Burrow and the Bengals go from picking first in the draft to the Super Bowl in two years. Weird things can happen in the NFL. It is designed for upheaval. It is designed for turnover. The Patriots can be a beneficiary of that. This is why I'm so frustrated. Because other teams are trying to capitalize. The Dolphins are trading for Tyreek Hill and signing him. Why? Capitalizing on Tua's value right now. The Chargers are bringing in everybody, capitalizing on Herbert's value right now. The Patriots should be doing that. It's what the Bengals are doing with Burrow. And those are the teams that we project to be good. Miami, maybe not, but Buffalo did it. Rookie quarterback, pull the right buttons, take or push the right buttons, pull the right strings, and take the chance. And you, too, can be in that conversation. I do not think that Mac Jones is a future Hall of Famer. He is going to need serious help around him. But right now, you have the ability to do that. And if you're willing to do it, then you can put yourself in the Super Bowl bubble, in the conversation. If Jared Goff can get there in what was at the time a very good NFC, then I have to think that Mac Jones, although I know he's limited, I have to think that he, too, has an opportunity to get there. But you have to get your Jalen Ramsey, your Brandon Cooks, your Stephon Diggs. And so far, the Pats have been unwilling to do that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joe says it's the NFL. Anything can happen. I disagree with Keyshawn. Might be down, but definitely not out. Need to find the right pieces. And I think they could be back in the next three years. That's the goal. You've got four years left on Mac Jones' rookie contract, right? The Browns didn't do it with Baker Mayfield's rookie contract. They're, they, you know, appeared to be screwed. Now, they go trade for Watson. They might be screwed different ways, but it's all about maximizing the rookie contract. Um, interesting comments real quick from Mike Giardi of the NFL Network earlier this week. He was talking about the Patriots' lack of activity this offseason. Do we have this real t- real quick? Okay, we do. But now what they want to see is some of those guys who struggled in year one in New England take the step in year two, and if they do, they believe that they'll be a very competitive football team that can, t- can contend once again. I'm looking specifically at John Smith, who had just 28 catches for less than 300 yards last year after getting the second most guaranteed money or having the second largest cap hit amongst tight ends. So Giardi basically says Pats didn't spend a lot this this offseason. The goal is now to have guys who are already here take steps. Robert Kraft echoed that this week too. And I don't know. I mean, Jonu Smith is really the only guy that I look at and say they need him to take a massive jump. Almost everybody else they brought in kind of did around what I thought that they would or should do. Now, Matthew Judon, you'd like to see put together a full 17 weeks instead of, you know, 10 to 11. But he wasn't a bust. Hunter Henry had double-digit touchdowns. 
I would take that again. That was a productive year. Kendrick Bourne was better than I thought overall. Nelson Aguilar is overpaid. They they would like more than him, but I don't expect that much more from him. I thought he would be a deep threat. I didn't think he was a 100-catch guy. Now, he shouldn't have been a 35-catch guy, but I, I, I thought he was about a 50-catch guy. So, like, there's not that much room to grow for Aguilar. The guy who has room to grow is Jonu Smith. He's really the one, and Giardi mentions him to his credit. But, I like, if you're looking for everybody you signed last year to take some massive step, I don't know that they have it in them. Kendrick Bourne did did what I thought and then some. I don't think he needs to take a massive step. I'd like to see him just repeat what he did. Hunter Henry, sure, he could have more catches, but he was a predominant red zone. He was a dominant red zone threat for them. I'd be okay with him doing just that yet again. Aguilar slightly underperformed what I expected. John U. Smith is the only one who massively underperformed, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, he needs to be better than 28 catches. They need to find a way to get the ball in his hands creatively. They lost their fullback. Put John U. Smith at, at fullback, H-back, tailback. Do what you did with Cordero Patterson. The thing I've been asking you to do with uh, with Ty Montgomery, do it with John U. Smith. Just get the ball in his hands because he's the guy who has a long runway to go and uh, make up ground. All right. We're going to be back in 60 seconds. Nick Mumley is getting set up in studio, our Thunder Road racing analyst. Brad Keselowski is coming to the nation's site of excitement. How exciting is that? Nick Mumley's in studio next. Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas' show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas' show here on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joined now in studio, a rare live in-studio guest for me on the Brady Farkas' show. We're joined by our Thunder Road racing analyst here on WDEV, Nick Mumley. Nick, also the host of the Inside Groove podcast, which you can check out on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Nick, a Thunder Road and ACT expert, and we bring him in today to talk about the news that NASCAR champion Brad Keselowski is coming to Thunder Road in July for the Governor's Cup. Nick, welcome in studio. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being with us. This is a pretty big deal. It's always a big deal when a NASCAR guy comes to Thunder Road, but Keselowski is a guy who's won a cup you know, series championship before. He's got 75 wins across NASCAR's three divisions. So this is not just any old NASCAR racer. Well, yeah, and that's usually what they try to do. Um, you know, every year Thunder Road usually, um, or well, the last probably five or six years now, uh, for the Governor's Cup when NASCAR is racing at Loudoun that weekend, Thunder Road holds their 150-lap Governor's Cup, and they usually get a cup driver to come on down. And, it, I mean, think back... Uh, in my time, at least my first time going to Thunder Road was when Tony Stewart, who was yep. my favorite NASCAR driver, went to Thunder Road. That's how I found out about the track was because I heard Tony Stewart was going. Um, but, I mean, they've had Clint Boyer. They've had Kyle Busch, uh, Ken Schrader, Kenny Wallace. Ryan Priest was there last year. Um, that, and that's all just, you know, within my lifetime. So they, they try to get a guy every year, and it, it brings a lot of people and a lot of attention to the track, and the drivers seem to love it. Well, let me ask you this. That's kind of where I want to go next. It's pretty obvious what's in it for us, the fans, right? We get to see a bigger name coming to Thunder Road. It's obvious what's in it for the track, promotion, and general awareness. What's in it for the NASCAR driver? I'm sure he's being paid, so yes, there's a financial thing to it, but what really is in it for him? If he comes here and gets beat by a bunch of you know, local track drivers, he ends up looking not that great. If he comes here and wins, well... 
hey, he's a NASCAR driver. He's supposed to win this kind of thing. Like what? It, it seems like one of these things is kind of a high risk, low reward for him. So what's in it for him? Well, it it really all depends on the driver. Um, I, and we'll go back to the last couple of examples of guys coming to Thunder Road for Governor's Cup weekend. Um, and I'll start with Kyle Busch. In, Kyle, in 2017, Kyle Busch came down. Uh, huge deal. The place was absolutely packed. Um, and... But he wasn't exactly there for, you know, the fans or to gain fans or anything. You know, he got mad when he got wrecked late in the race and he took took off in his private helicopter before the race was even over. And um, so for for him, the reward is just racing. Yeah. Because if you follow Kyle Busch, he is racing everywhere, all throughout the country. Um, you know, when he's not in the Cup Series, even in the the NASCAR, the the top three series of NASCAR, he's the only guy that races um, in Xfinity and trucks. They actually had to make a rule because he would go down to the lower series and win so many races um, that they they didn't want him racing anymore. <laughs> so they had to limit how many races he would show up in. So Kyle Busch, a guy like that, he just loves to race, and that's probably where Brad Keselowski is here. Um, but last year with Ryan Priest was uh, was we were kind of introduced to another side of it for the drivers because Ryan Priest is kind of an up and coming um, up and coming driver doesn't exactly have the fame and the fortune of uh, of a Brad Keselowski or a Kyle Busch or a Tony Stewart. Um, you know he came brought the merch uh, the merch tent with him <laughs> and was just there to meet as many people as he could make as many fans as he could and try to kind of grow his brand and and have fun while racing uh, in the process. So that was kind of an interesting, um, you know, we'd never seen that from a guy before um, compared to the the big superstars that we've seen in the past. WDEV racing analyst at Thunder Road, Nick Mumley, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Nick with us in studio. Uh, These drivers are meticulous about their preparation. They're meticulous about how they do their car, about studying the course that they're going to. How tough is it logistically for a NASCAR driver to come in here, race at Thunder Road, and then immediately go out to New Hampshire, go out to Loudon a couple days later. Well, and that that's interesting as well. It's not really like going to any other track because ACT cars are so different from you know a super late model or a regular late model that a guy might go run at some short track in North Carolina, um, you know, just to go past the time. Um, Dale Shaw Race Cars, which is actually, um, I mean, they build most of the cars for um the for the thunder road drivers and the yep. act drivers they're actually preparing a company car for brad um and they're going to fully crew it fully staff it get him get everything ready for him he's just going to come in and drive it um and other than that i mean you can talk to the uh, these guys when i talk to them and in, in preparation i mean ryan priest last year i asked him the same question and he's like uh there's not really much you can do except talk to the other guys that have come and try to get yeah. some advice from them. Um, and that might be why it makes it so difficult and why none of them have ever been <laughs> able to come in and win a race. How do the Thunder Road drivers feel about the NASCAR guys coming in? Are they honored to be on the track with them? Are they resentful that they're here on their turf somewhere in between? What's your general sentiment about how they feel? I, I think it depends on who you, uh, on which driver you ask. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think all of them are, are, are pretty pretty excited to be sharing the track with a, a guy like uh like brad keselowski or kyle bush you know these big stars that come up um because you know it's who you sit down on your couch with your family and watch on sunday yeah. you know win these big races and all the money and all the fame um 
but there's there's a lot of them that you know they might feel that way but on the track you're another driver they're not going to give you an inch just like they're not going to give you know joe schmo from hardwick an inch either (laughs) um so you know it's it's kind of finding that balance um i think off the track the you know the guys might be maybe a little bit more starstruck or whoa there's brad keselowski in the garage stall next (laughs) to me uh but once you get on the track i mean it's you you're all going for the same goal and you're not going to give brad keselowski an inch just as much as you would anybody else you mentioned the um you know everything kind of being done and tailored for brad keselowski but when it comes to actually being on the track What's going to make this difficult for him? You mentioned that no NASCAR drivers have ever won here. What's what makes it so tough for them? Well, it's just a tough racetrack. I yeah. mean, there is there's no space to go. Um, you know, you're side by side, too wide most of the time. You got to figure out how to manage the tires. Um, like I told you, the ACT car is very different from um, any any late model that uh, NASCAR guys might run down south. And Brad Keselowski has only run the ACT-type late model uh, once in, I believe, 2012 oh, wow. um, at the Oxford 250. And and that's not even a, a track that's comparable to Thunder Road. Ac- Oxford's very flat, you know, almost a circle track. Um, over in Maine, Thunder Road is very high banked. You've got to get your throttle points right. you got to get the car set up to go through the corners le- like you want it to. Um, and it's it's very tough. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. Most of the guys that come up get a practice session early on in the day before anybody uh, before anybody gets to the track, like the morning of the race. They'll, yep. they'll open up the track for Brad, um, I would assume. Um, but, you know, other than that, it is very, very difficult to just hop in a late model and, and come to Thunder Road and um, and compete and, and win. I mean, we, Ryan Priest, I think, finished eight, eighth or ninth in last year's feature, and everybody was everybody thought that was a pretty solid run for him because, uh, I mean, Kyle Busch finished two laps down. I mean, er, well, he wrecked out of the race before it ended. Tony <laughs> and then Stewart, took his private jet. Yeah, took his private helicopter <laughs> out of there. Uh, Tony Stewart finished two laps down. Like, I was, uh, nine-year-old me was in complete shock that Tony Stewart got humiliated by all the random drivers from Vermont. Um, but, 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 I mean, nobody's, nobody's ever had the the success i mean getting a top 10 i think christopher bell a couple years ago got a top 10 as well but i mean for these guys to come in here get a top 10 i think that's a pretty solid night they'd consider it nick mumley with us here on the brady farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdevradio.com you can hear nick on our broadcast of thunder road racing later on this uh, this summer here and you can also find him on the inside groove podcast uh, on apple Podcasts and on spotify moving back to thunder road just as a whole what are your expectations for this year you know jason corliss is not going to race the usual thursday night schedule it sounds like he is going to be there but much more sporadically you know kind of you know in bigger money events and i think there are there's someone else that's pretty big that's not coming back regularly i was under the impression of as well trampus demers who's been racing full-time in the late model since 2003 uh and he's come He's finished. It, the The saying with Trampus Demers has always been, "Always the bridesmaid, never the bride." He's yeah. finished second or third in the championship so many years, um, and uh, last year was a really tough year for them. They they got caught up in a lot of uh, other people's problems and, and destroyed uh, destroyed their car a couple of times last year. And it's just a, a tough season on Trampus uh, mentally, uh, and I think uh, he was he was just ready to to call it quits for the full-time stuff but uh the big 150 lappers i mean i wouldn't be shocked if we saw corliss at the governor's cup uh, or trampus there as well you know when brad keselowski does show up so they'll still they'll still be there but they won't be competing for the king of the road champion there are going to be some new names do you think that uh you know 
you know, we've been following Corliss for so long now and his quest to win and win and win and win. I mean, there's got to be somebody that's going to take his place that kind of, uh, you know, like where should I refocus my attention to? And that's what's very interesting and something I've been thinking on a lot this offseason is um, the over the last decade, decade and a half, it's kind of gone in waves, right? You had Nick Sweet in the uh, early 2010s uh, come in and, and win a bunch of championships, you know, very similar to the run Corliss ju- is just coming off of. And then you have Derek O'Donnell, who came in as a rookie, won three straight championships, his rookie season, second season, third season, and then he went to work down south on on a NASCAR team. And then here comes Jason Corliss, and Corliss has his string of dominance. So the question this year is, is there a person out there, is there a driver out there that can come in and repeat what Nick Sweet and Derek O'Donnell and Jason Corliss have done over the last 10, 12 years? I don't necessarily see one this year. but I don't think anybody saw Jason Carlos coming at the rate he did as well. He came onto the scene very quickly. So there's a number of guys. Um, Brandon Lanfear had a really solid rookie season uh, for Richard Green Racing. They won a couple. Cha- they've won two championships with Scott Dragon in the last yeah. five or six years. Uh, and he came in as a rookie to drive that car last year. They built a brand new uh, Dale Shaw car this year. So it's going to be a very quick car. Uh, and Brandon's going to grow as a race car driver. He's kind of my dark horse pick to uh, to be up there. Chris Pelkey had a very solid season last year, finished second in points. Kyle Pembroke had a new Dale Shaw car last year <laughs> as well uh, and saw tremendous uh, tremendous growth and, and won a couple of races. He's been quick. Um, Marcel Gravel's got a, a new car as well. Everybody's getting new cars this offseason if you can't find <laughs> figure out the trend. Uh, but Marcel Gravel's got a brand new car, um, and, and he's kind of been knocking on the door the last couple of years as well. So there's a lot of guys that are kind of grouped. I think there's five, six, or seven guys that I can realistically see winning this championship. Inside this Groove Podcast covers Thunder Road and ACT, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You've announced a new podcast is coming through the Inside Groove. What is that? Yeah, so Behind the Visor, that uh, we just announced uh, on Thursday, uh, something we've been kind of working on for a few months, um, To and it's it's going to be me and, and four other Thunder Road drivers. So we're going to have Marcel Gravel, Matt Smith, who drive late models, Cam Ouellette, um drives a Flying Tiger, and then Taylor Hoare is the daughter of eight-time ACT champ Brian Hoare, uh, and she had her rookie season in the uh, street stocks last year. She will be uh, the fourth member on our panel, and I'll kind of be uh, the host or moderator of that, and yeah. I'm just going to let them go and kind of talk. It's going to be every other week. We're just going to talk about, from their perspective, what the season uh, and the rigors of the Thunder Road season look like from their perspective, and um, and just kind of hang out and have fun. I think it's going to be a really good show, and uh, I'm really excited for it. Well, you can find that when it drops on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Nick Mumley, we'll look forward to uh, listening to you uh, all season long here on WDEV. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Good to have Nick Mumley in studio today. That might be my first in-studio guests on the Brady Farkas show because we had COVID, you know, really we were, you know, our building was locked down to outsiders for a while. And then obviously most of the guests we get are national or regional. So yeah, I think Nick might've been our first in-studio guest. If it wasn't, if he wasn't first, he was second because it just doesn't happen often. Amanda Pelkey is going to come in in June, I think, when she comes back to town for her camp. So we'll get another one there, but uh, good to have Nick in and Nick's come a long way. Nick was my former intern 
at a at a previous station and now he here he is wdev thunder road racing analyst has the own podcast the inside groove which is very successful second podcast now coming as well with those thunder road drivers um you know i'm looking forward to, to hearing that as well hard to believe we're only like four weeks away from thunder road opening up here and getting some action out there on the track and brad keselowski is going to be there middle of july for the governor's cup 150. So appreciate Nick Mumley being with us in studio. Steve asked me if I have any questions uh, for Nick on Cody Blake or any insight on Cody Blake. I'll have to uh, work on that here as Nick kind of mills around the hallway. Maybe I'll get him in the commercial break. So appreciate uh, you guys texting in 802-585-3026. When we come back, first we'll get the national news update from CBS News. Then we'll come back at it and uh, we'll talk about my 5K. That's coming up tomorrow. And I'm pretty nervous. I'll tell you, I was hanging out at the American Legion yesterday in Waterbury, having a blast with the crew. I think they, I think they recognize my fear. We'll talk about it. It's coming up uh, tomorrow. The races. It's coming up soon here on the other side of the uh, national news update, right here on DEV. Opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Great job with Nick Mumley. We had him on from the Inside Groove podcast, and the, our interview with him is already up on the uh, podcast channel here at WDEV. So just search for the Brady Farkas Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Nick's interview is already there. You can also, after the show is over, get our full show podcast. We do that every single day. Tomorrow is race day. That's right. Tomorrow, the 5K, the big 5K that I've been training for for like five or six weeks, it's coming up tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. in Colchester. I got to tell you, I'm very, very nervous. And and it's really embarrassing to admit that. It's not that a 5K is not hard. A 5K certainly is a challenge. But a 5K should not put this much fear into me. Like, marathons should put fear into you. Half marathons should 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 make you nervous. 10Ks should make you nervous. 5Ks to me feel like they, they it's not that they're not difficult. They are, but it shouldn't strike me as nervous as I am. And as we get closer and closer to tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., I am nervous. I was hanging out at the American Legion last night in Waterbury. I really do get dinner there every single Thursday. So I'm hanging out at the American Legion there in Waterbury after the show, like 8 o'clock at night. And I'm shooting the blank at post 59 with my guy Steve and Rick. And we're talking about the race and how legitimately concerned I actually am. First and foremost, kind of know the logistics about this. The 5K is for a great cause. Okay, It's for the Josh Pilata Fund. It's in Colchester. Um, it's, it's there to help the fund and the the foundation are there to help end veteran suicide. So Josh's mom runs the event and runs the foundation and set up what's called Josh's house, which is kind of a veterans rec center. And and she's been on Vermont viewpoint with Rick Singary. So I've done some events or been to events for the foundation. And I'm really passionate about the people involved in the foundation and the cause. So, uh, I'm passionate about why I'm running in this race. And I guess I need to remember that that's why I'm doing this because my competitive side, my athletic side is coming out and I'm already fearing in disappointment and embarrassment on that front. I just need to remember, I think why I'm doing it because that ultimately is what matters. Um, 
My number one goal, as I've been saying throughout, my number one goal is to finish without stopping, to finish the race without stopping. My number two goal is to finish the race in 30 minutes or less. I think both are going to be difficult, and as tomorrow comes, I'm getting more nervous and more frustrated. And here's what frustrates me, too, is that pre-pandemic, I was going to the gym three days a week, right before everything shut down. And I did a 5K on a treadmill. It was indoors. It was on a treadmill. And that's just kind of what we had to do um, when I was going to that gym because it was kind of a, a gym competition. I ran the, the 5K on the treadmill in 2019, no joke, in 22 minutes. I was absolutely flying. I hurt for like three days. I ran this thing in 22 minutes. Three years later, I'm wondering if I can get eight minutes less than that. That is embarrassing to me. Eight minutes less. Like I ran the thing in 22 minutes three years ago, and here I am hoping for eight minutes less than that and not even not even sure I'm going to get that. Like, I think it's going to be very, very tough for me to do that. Like, I was a two-sport varsity athlete in high school. I was a college athlete. I ran a 530-mile on my senior year of baseball at Oswego for our challenge we had to do there, you know, in order to, you know, I don't even know, tryouts or before we started our first game or whatever. I ran a 530-mile. Like, in my mind, I'm still that guy. And maybe some of you who are older than me can let me know, like 802-585-3026. Maybe this is just a function of getting older that you always see yourself as younger and you need to stop doing that because I think that's my problem here. Like in my mind, I was just playing high school basketball and running up and down the court and lapping people on the floor. In my mind, I just ran the 533 mile. That was a decade ago. Maybe I need to stop seeing myself as that guy and start seeing myself as the 32-year-old who now has you know, gone through the pandemic and couldn't go to the gym three days a week and has had a struggle getting back into it and can't say no to Taco Bell. Maybe that's who I should be seeing myself as because if I just realized I was a 32-year-old has-been, I'd probably have a lot lower expectations. But I can't not see myself and as my former self, and that is part of the problem. Um, Mary and Randolph says, Brady, you've got this. I'm rooting for you. Appreciate it, Mary. I'm going to need that support. Steve says, uh, check your math. Not eight minutes less, eight minutes more. Okay, you know what I mean. I ran it in 22 minutes before. Now I'm th- now I'm worried I can't get eight minutes worse, not eight minutes less. So, I mean, I, I think it's going to take me. I I do think that I can keep up about a 10 minute mile pace, which would get me to the 30 minutes. But I'm not sure I could do that without having to stop. The thing that now I was all excited about the weather. I thought the weather was going to be really good for this, Roger. In the four o'clock hour on the afternoon news service, scared me half to death. Like I was thinking it was going to be fifty, sunny, not a lot of wind. I was like, okay, it's going to be comfortable. He's like, no, it's going to be upper thirties with a breeze. I'm like, that's not conducive to me trying to hit this goal. The last thing I need is the wind at my face and my lungs feeling heavy by minute five. That is the last thing that I need. I do believe there's no hills. That is good through Fortieth and Allen and Colchester, nice and flat. I'm also worried, get this one, 
I am worried about my footwear. This this is my biggest logistical concern outside of just not being in good enough shape. I do not have good shoes for this 5K. I went to buy like when I run on the treadmill, and I've been you know training through the winter. I was running in basketball shoes. I had good running shoes, like really good running shoes, and they ended up you know going to all hell. So I had to get rid of them. So I did a lot of my training in basketball shoes. And that's not real comfortable. And then I went to buy running shoes last weekend. And the running shoes were supposed to be on sale. I get to the to the register, and she's like, oh, yeah, this brand is excluded from the sale, so these are like $80. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not spending – I think it was $69. Like, I'm not spending $69 on these running shoes. So I put the shoes back, and now I'm just going to run in my street sneakers. I'm going to need – I'm going to need a pair of gel insoles and two pairs of socks because I'm fairly confident my feet are going to end up blistered to all hell by the time I get done with this race tomorrow. I'm going to need gel insoles and two pairs of socks. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. We are going to, no matter how I do, Monday I will have the answer for you. I will tell you how I did. I will own it if I'm bad. I will brag if I somehow am good, but I'm not... uh, I'm not thinking it's going to be good. I can tell you that if I do well, I am absolutely going to go reward myself with some kind of some kind of big-time cheat meal. I'm not really one to say no to a cheat meal anyways, but if I do well, I'm absolutely celebrating somewhere, pigging out on something. Chicken wings, hamburgers, I don't know. But if I, if I can actually pull the 30-minute time, I will, be, I will be eating like there's no tomorrow. I will start the final four party four hours early just so I can start eating. I have never run a 5K outside. I ran a four-mile race maybe like seven years ago. Now, I ran it with my dad, so we were not running in a, more, in a competitive way. So we did, we did take some stops and things like that. I remember stopping for a couple of portions with my dad. Now, I was in much better shape then. But we finished in like 42 minutes, 43 minutes in that four-mile race. Now, that would be about a 10-minute pace, but I know we stopped, and we stopped more than once. So if I can pull a 10-minute pace without stopping, I'll hit my 30 minutes, but I I don't know how it's going to be. My guy, Dave, who is a radio host in Mobile, Alabama, he's like checking in with me every day on my 5K training, and he's giving me encouragement, so... I'll let you know how it goes there on. Uh, I'll let you know how it goes there on Monday. Uh, Peter and Williston wants me to take illegal supplements tonight in order to get through the race. I, I don't think that uh, we need me, you know, dropping, uh, you know, into convulsions there at mile 1.2 or something. So I'll probably pass on that, Peter. All right, let's see. Where do I want to go next? I've got an interesting thing. I think a lot of you are going to relate to. By the way. In about 15 minutes, so I want to do it then. But uh, right now, all right, let's get to who's saying what. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. 
It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. So unlimited car washes, $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, well, all you need to do is text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. That's 30 and then 400. So again, Vermont Laser Wash. Uh, I'm going to get to this really interesting question that Freddie Coleman brought to us on Wednesday when I spoke to him. And I've been thinking about it ever since. You remember earlier in the week at the owners' meetings when Patriots owner Robert Kraft said it's bothered him that the Pats haven't won a playoff game in three years, and then we talked about kind of the pressure on Bill Belichick being ratcheted up. Well, we asked Freddie about Kraft's comments and Kraft's demeanor, and he brought up a really interesting point. But I also wonder this, Brady. If Tom Brady decided to stay retired, Robert Kraft would have said that because Robert Kraft clearly sees that Tom Brady being back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're still an instant contender to be a Super Bowl champion and get to the Super Bowl. And the last thing you want to have to deal with is that Tom Brady has won two championships without being part of the Patriots, and you're still ringless as an organization when it comes to that. So That's a great – I think Freddie is really on to something there. I really do. I do think that Tom Brady coming back – has changed something for the Patriots organization, or more specifically, it's changed something for Robert Kraft. And I hadn't thought about that previously, but when Freddie said it, my mind started turning. I think Freddie's really onto something. If Tom Brady was gone, if Tom Brady was retired, the shadow would have been lifted, and the Patriots could just kind of go about their day and kind of go about their rebuild. And they could kind of do it unbothered to a degree. I don't think that Robert Kraft would be accepting of bad play or even mediocrity in any situation. But Tom Brady being here has turned the urgency meter all the way up to 10. If Tom Brady wasn't back, I don't think the urgency meter would be that high. But with Brady back, it's back in a big way. Kind of think about it like relationships, all right? Let's walk through this analogy together. Think about this like relationships. Let's just say you had a long relationship with somebody and you've gone through a bad breakup. The goal of both parties, we know this, this is life. The goal of both parties is to kind of pick up the pieces before the other person does, right? You want to show that you've moved on before they've moved on. Well, if you break up and your significant other moves away, leaves town, Well, and you never really saw each other, and you never really heard from each other, and you never talked to each other, and even if you weren't really over it, it wouldn't really matter, would it? Like, you'd be kind of free to move along at your own pace. You'd be able to go through your, your own personal rebuild at your own pace. If you had no fear of ever seeing the other person, they weren't there, you wouldn't run into them, you wouldn't talk to them, you could go through your kind of grieving and rebirth at your own pace. But if you break up and that significant other stays in town, well, then the pressure's on, isn't it? The pressure is on. The competition is now on. You know you could run into them anywhere. You know that you need to be put together in case you do. You And you want to show them that if you do run into them, not only are you surviving, but you are thriving. You want to be dating somebody new and be happy before they are. The pressure is on. That's where Robert Kraft is right now. That's where Robert Kraft is right now. If 
Tom Brady was out of the league. He's out of sight, out of mind. And the Patriots could just go about their rebuild and go about their process, and they could do it without the immense pressure of being in a competition with the other side. But Tom Brady's not out of the league now. He's not out of sight, out of mind. Everything you do is being compared to everything that he does and everything he did for you. The Patriots now have to accelerate their rebirth. They have to accelerate their rebuild. The urgency is there because Robert Kraft doesn't want to look bad. And every day that Tom Brady is still in the league and every day that Tom Brady has an opportunity to outdo the Patriots is another opportunity for Robert Kraft to look bad. Robert Kraft took a gamble in letting Tom Brady go. He took a gamble. He was betting that Tom Brady wouldn't be the guy anywhere else that he was in New England. And every day that Tom Brady is still here, Robert Kraft has a chance of looking worse and the organization has a chance of looking worse. He no longer can just go about his rebuild and no big deal. Now it's like, okay, this guy's still here. We've got to figure it out, and we got to figure it out quick. I think Freddie is absolutely right. I think he's on to something. And by the way, I like my dating analogy because we can all relate. Well, I can't relate to it. It's never happened to me, really, but like we can picture that, right? If you break up and your significant other moves away, you're free to – to, to, you're free to sit in the corner and, and mope all day if you want to, right? And ha- let it take you six months to get past it. But if you break up and your significant other is in town, you're like, okay, it's on. I need to be ready in a week here, and I need to be out, and I need to be with it, and I need to, I need to look like I'm okay with this. That's where Robert Kraft is right now. That's where Robert Kraft is. Peter and Williston on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Says, Brady, does Kraft regret not firing Belichick in favor of keeping Tom Brady in New England now that, uh, for all intents and purposes, he got Arians removed in Tampa? I don't, I, I, no, I don't, I don't think so. What I do think is interesting is that I wonder deep down if Robert Kraft regrets keeping, you know, just keeping. Like, he regrets choosing Belichick over Brady. Like, does he regret that? I I, I got to say, I think the Patriots made the right choice at the time. I do. Because look at the scenario. We'd never seen a quarterback play. And Brady was like 42 when he left the Pats. We'd never seen a quarterback play well 43, 44, 45. We'd never seen that. So the coach in our mind was going to be good longer than the quarterback. And... The 2019 Patriots ended on a really bad note. Their second half of the season, like they started like 9 and 0, right? And ended like 11 and 5. Like they went like 4 and 5 down the down the stretch when you include the playoffs. They got beat by Tennessee. Like and Brady didn't look good. And remember the Patriots didn't have a lot of money available in 2020. So if Brady was here in 2020, he was going to be thrown to Demir Bird. And a younger Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry. He wasn't going to have Mike Evans and and uh, you know and Gronk and these guys that made him look good in Tampa. I mean, so the piece if Brady stayed in New England, he would not have been as good as he was in Tampa as he's been in Tampa because the team 
in New England wouldn't have been as good. Like the team that Cam Newton was throwing to, Tom Brady ain't taking that team to the playoffs at 43 years old or taking them to the Super Bowl at 43. So I do wonder, you know, if he ever thinks about what if I had kept Brady. But if he had kept Brady, I, I, I think it would have been the wrong move. We just we we've never seen a quarterback do what Brady's done. So I think you were smart to walk away from a football standpoint. Now I would have kept Brady. I would have strong armed Belichick and kept Brady no matter what out of legacy. But I I manage with my heart and not my head. My head tells me the Patriots made the right move. Brady would have been too old. Belichick would have been greater longer. Therefore, he was the guy that was more important from a competitive standpoint long term. And then you know, the, the, the team around him would not have been that good. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at uh, ProDriverCDL.com. It is Vermont's premier truck driver training school. Um, uh, by the way, facilities in Enosburg and Milton. They can help you with your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, and uh, passenger and advanced skills training as well. On the other side of the commercial break, something that I don't know that any of you are going to directly care about, but I believe that most of you can relate to. I want to explain what I'm talking about. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. 585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Got a message on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line from uh, Matthew, who is a Waterbury resident, who is a veteran. He'll be running in the 5K that I'm running in tomorrow. So first off, Matthew, thank you for your service. Appreciate you. Matthew says he actually worked at WDEV when he was younger, and he was uh, an intern at 17 years old. So Matthew, a Waterbury resident and a veteran. Again, thank you for your service, and I look forward to uh, hopefully saying hello tomorrow. And he says he's a little bit older than me, has done no training, though. So we'll see what happens. If I lose to a guy who's older than me with no training, that'll be yet another thing I'm embarrassed about. I am also, like I said before, I'm fearful of the the mother or father pushing the stroller. That also passes me. I, I'm nervous about all of it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I am nervous about all of it. I want to talk about something before I kind of get into the Celtics. I got some stuff on Jason Tatum. I want to talk about something that I don't think any of you will care about on the surface, but I think all of you will relate to in some way. And I love some feedback on this on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. My fantasy baseball league seems to be dying. It seems to be on its last legs. And before you laugh at me and roll your eyes and say, why is he talking about a fantasy baseball? No one cares. Allow me to kind of let this one breathe for a bit. So Major League Baseball, the season starts in less than a week now. It starts in six days. My Fantasy Baseball League, of which I'm not the commissioner, but my Fantasy Baseball League has not yet finalized the rules, the categories, has not set a draft date or anything. Like, I don't know if we will. We could. Obviously, we got six days. We could get this thing off the ground and play and everything could be fine. But right now, I have strong doubts that that's going to happen. It feels like this league is is on its last legs. And 
I think a lot of you can relate to why I care about this. Okay, I've been in this fantasy baseball league since I was a sophomore in high school. I have been in this league now for half my life. 16 years I have been in this fantasy baseball league. And while a few of the guys in the league have changed, there's a core five or six of us that have been in this league for all 16 years since we were sophomores in high school. We all played baseball together growing up. We were all teammates together throughout high school. And this league we've been playing in since we were sophomores. So for me, this fantasy baseball league, it's a link to the past. And it's a link to the past that I don't really want to give up. And I'm disappointed that the league is on its is on life support right now because this league is a link to the past. It's a link to my old teammates. And when it comes to some of the guys in the league, the only time I ever see them is at the fantasy baseball draft. The only things I ever talk to them about are fantasy baseball now. And so really, this league is my link to some of these oldest and longest tenured friendships that I have. And I think a lot of you can relate to that. For me, this is not about fantasy baseball. I love fantasy baseball. I got three other leagues. Like if this one falls apart, I I got plenty of fantasy baseball to play. Um, It's not even about the money that we play for. We play for money, actually play for a decent amount of money. It's not really about the money though. As much as I'd love to win it, it's not even about that. For me, it's about that link to my youth. And as we get older, I'm realizing, and I think some of you can relate to, as we get older, that link to your, that that thread to your youth, it gets more and more frayed every year. And I want this league to continue because I want that thread to stay as strong as it possibly can. Look, I, I don't live in my hometown anymore. And I am fine with that. But like, I don't live in my hometown anymore. I don't see these guys out at the supermarket or for dinner on Friday nights or for beers over at their house. So yeah, like this league is my link to a lot of my old friends. And I really fear that if the league goes away, those relationships are going to go away. And I, and I, I don't want that to happen. Like, Again, it's not about fantasy baseball to me. It's about getting older and realizing that it's harder and harder to hold on to the past, even as much as you want to. We all want, in some way, to be connected with our youth. Every single one of us, in some way, wants to be connected to our youth. This is the way that I am connected to my youth. These friends, this league, those memories, those stories, and what comes out of, you know, this league that helps keep those things around. I I still play baseball, and that's one link to my youth, and this is the other one, this fantasy baseball league. Every other league I'm in is not the same as this one. 16 years, half my life has been spent in this fantasy baseball league with these guys. And if it goes away, I fear I'm not going to speak to any of them ever again. And And it just bothers me. That, uh, yeah, it's another reminder as you get older that we get sapped more and more 
of that youth or of those connections just a little bit. Uh, text in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. We get a text in. It says, I was just texting another friend about how my fantasy baseball league was canceled after 25 plus years because five team managers quit. So brutal. Uh, and he says he had a pretty good team as well. So yeah, again, I, I just, it stinks to be honest with you. You know, and, and it, it, there's a lot that's changed, right? You know, we everybody has experienced it or you're experiencing it now like I am. You know, it used to be that I'd go home, you know, we'd go home you know, at Thanksgiving or something or Christmas and everybody would go home, right? Everybody would go back to the hometown. We'd go to the townie bar on Friday night and we'd all shoot the blank like we used to. And now every year people just don't go home anymore, Right. One guy lives in this place and he's got kids and he can't go. And one guy lives in that place and it's too far and he can't go. And I live out here and sometimes I can't go. And then the guys that are home, they've got kids and they can't get out of the house. And it's all understandable. It's all part of growing up. But it just it stinks that the things that you used to do that you can't do like you used to anymore. And it, it's sad. It's a sad realization about getting older. I hope that this league figures it out. I hope the commissioner gets his act together and puts something out here in the next couple of days. I've actually kind of begged to keep the league going. No one else seems to really care. So that's fine. Maybe it means way more to me than it means to them. A lot of them also live at home. So they get a chance to see each other a lot more than I do. So that's understandable. Like I chose to leave. I get that, but I'm, I'm hoping that this league makes a rebound. Uh, speaking of fantasy, I think my guy, Henry McKenna, who's been on this show, Henry McKenna, Patriots Wire, I think he was playing some fantasy football the other day. He was tweeting about the Patriots and DK Metcalf. And so here, like, here's Metcalf's situation. Metcalf is going into his final year of his rookie contract, right, so with Seattle. So, D, so uh, Henry McKenna, who I love, who's awesome, and he said, hey, because – Metcalf is on his, the final year of his contract. If I were the Patriots, I wouldn't give a first-round pick for him because he'd be a rental player. But if you could get him for a third or a fourth-round pick, I'd do it in a heartbeat. On what planet is DK Metcalf getting got for a third or fourth-round pick? That is absurd. You would never. The, the New England Patriots are not acquiring a top six wide receiver in the NFL for a third or fourth round pick. Ain't gonna happen. Not even close. Number one, if DK Metcalf's true value was a third or fourth round pick, the Seahawks would just play DK Metcalf this year, let him walk in free agency, and get a compensatory pick, which is like a third round pick. So if you just want a third round pick, you could just let DK Metcalf play for you and then leave in free agency. So that's 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 out. That's not going to happen. If you're going to trade for Metcalf, then you're going to pony up a first-round pick and then some. Because Tyreek Hill was traded for five draft picks. DK Metcalf is not quite as impactful as Tyreek Hill, but he's pretty darn good. He's younger. He's more physical. He's incredibly fast. He's a matchup nightmare. And he doesn't come with any of the off-field baggage that Tyreek Hill does. 
If Tyreek Hill can go for five draft picks, including a first, DK Metcalf can go for three to four draft picks, one of which is a first. Third or fourth round pick. I mean, my goodness. And by the way, I would I would do it in a heartbeat if I were the Patriots. We started out talking about we started out talking at the beginning of the show today about the Patriots and how they could be contenders in the next couple of years. And I said, you got to take big shots. Like this is a shot you could, you need to take. If you wanted to trade the pay, the trade, the Seahawks, the number 21 pick in the draft, your first round pick and other stuff for DK Metcalf, I would do it in a heartbeat and I would not think twice about it. And Oh, by the way, I'd give him the hundred million dollar extension after the fact too. Like that's the kind of guy that Mac Jones needs. That's the kind of guy the Patriots need a game changer a guy who puts fear into opposing defenses if you want to put yourself back into that Super Bowl conversation you need dudes you don't just need guys Nelson Aguilar is a guy Kendrick Bourne's a guy Jacoby Myers who I love even he's a guy pretty good guy but he's a guy DK Metcalf is a dude and you need Guys like that, if you want to put yourself back into the Super Bowl conversation quicker. So, yeah, third or fourth round pick. Not a chance, not a snowball's chance in hell that that price gets you DK Metcalf. All right, it is the Brady Farkas Show. It's WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jay Williams of ESPN Radio said something today that uh, I hate this conversation. I am tired of this conversation. I will tell you what this conversation is. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. 3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas comes up here in about 15 minutes. Eye on the World with John Batchelor. That goes on at about uh, 9 o'clock. So there is a conversation in sports that comes up just about every year. And I hate it every time that it comes up. So the Celtics take on the Indiana Pacers tonight, okay? Celtics... Um, hold on, let me see. <laughs> Marco and Warren, that guy's rant needs to be clipped and put into the intro. Oh, 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 meaning my guy's dude's rant needs to be, okay, about how the Patriots need guys. And, thank you, Marco. Appreciate you there. Talking about DK Metcalf, etc. Marco paying close attention. There you go. So anyways, back to the conversation that I hate. Celtics take on the Pacers tonight. They go into that matchup right now, sees third seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Jay Williams of ESPN Radio, former NBA player, he was talking about Jason Tatum. And he was trying to answer the question, can Jason Tatum be the best player on a championship team? I think he could be the best player. He just needs a lot of the right pieces around him. And my NFL equivalent to Jason Tatum key would probably be Dak Prescott, right? Dak Prescott is right there on the verge of being an upper-tier quarterback. And that's where I feel Jason Tatum is. When you look at the Eastern Conference or you look at the NBA in general, like Tier 1, just in the East, I'm like, okay, Joel Embiid, Giannis, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, 
Like, that to me is the upper echelon. Jason Tatum is right there, but we haven't seen it yet in the postseason. I hate that topic. I hate that topic. And the reason why is nearly every single player in the NBA, quote, needs the right pieces around them. I think he could be the best player. He just needs a lot of the right pieces around him. That goes for, like, every player in the NBA. There are so few guys capable of being a lone wolf. They all need a lot of help. Can Tatum be the the best player on a championship team? Well, sure, if all the other pieces are right. Well, guess what? Every team needs those other pieces to be right. The league is now reliant upon you having multiple great players in order to win. He mentions Joel Embiid. He does realize that Joel Embiid has James Harden, right? Like, Joel Embiid is not a lone wolf. He's got James Harden. He had Ben Simmons, the number one pick in the draft, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick. A lot of highly compensated and highly regarded players around him. So Joel Embiid ain't doing it alone. Jason Tatum shouldn't shouldn't be docked because he needs help. They all need help. LeBron James needed Kyrie Irving, needed Kevin Love, needed Anthony Davis, wanted Russell Westbrook. The Warriors, without Steph Curry, one guy missing, they're not the same. Steph needs Draymond Green, needs Klay Thompson. Kevin Durant needs though needed those guys, needs Kyrie Irving. Without Kyrie, Durant's not leading the Nets to a championship. Heck, he might not lead the Nets to a championship with Kyrie. If you want to say who's a lone wolf in the NBA, Giannis is probably the closest. I mean, he doesn't have, like, Kyrie-level help, Harden-level help. Chris Middleton's an all-star. But, like, Giannis is maybe the only one that's truly doing, like, close to lone wolf stuff. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs a lot of help. So, oh, you need, Tatum needs all the right pieces around him. They all do. Every single guy, every, every player in the league needs a bunch of help around them. That is why they team up together. That is why they want big threes. Who's the next big three going to be? Because they all need help. They need multiple stars on every team. So don't dock Tatum because he needs help when everybody else needs help too. The, the the Grizzlies are second in the Western Conference and John Moran is great. I think I saw a stat like the Grizzlies are like 14 and 1 when John Morant doesn't play. Like they got a lot of guys around John Morant that are pretty good. Maybe Luka is a little bit, a little bit. You know, in the Giannis camp of kind of doing it alone like Luka he carries the Dallas Mavericks. There are still good players on the Mavericks, but Luka is clearly the guy. I mean, you know, uh, no, Tim Hardaway, yeah, I guess I'd put Luka in the Giannis camp. There's, they're about it. They're the lone wolves, and I don't even know that they can win a championship. So Giannis might be able to. Speaking of Giannis, he had 44 last night. That was a great game. Uh, 
the Bucks beat the Nets 120 to 119. Chris Middleton getting thrown out of that game in the fourth quarter was a, just a horrific call. I mean, they gave him a flagrant two when it sh- I didn't even think it should have been a flagrant one. It was just a joke to me. You know, we we used to say growing up, right? Like don't give up a free layup. Like you got to commit a hard foul to not let a guy get a shot off. So Middleton kind of makes a play on the ball, clubs um, Bruce Brown's arm. Brown goes down. They give him a, a flagrant two. Like Middleton did what you're taught. Don't let the guy get the shot off. Just an incredibly soft play there in the NBA. But nonetheless, Giannis had 44, and he became the Bucks' all-time leading scorer in the process, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Did not know um, about it, but it's good. It's good because uh, I'm changing the narrative. You know, I'm not the. I'm, I don't want to be the guy only that dunks and runs. You know, I can you know make a, a three, but I want myself to stay humble. You know, I feel like the more humble I get and the more hungry I stay, the more things I can accomplish. You know, you know Giannis is just so likable. Giannis is incredibly likable and he just might be the most likable guy certainly the most likable star in the nba he's humble he's personable he's funny he's excellent he he just has it and if zion ever could play he has it too they're just kind of effervescent in their personality you know Giannis has been in the league for nine years now. He's been a star for four or five years already. Like He's had time to be famous and be jaded and get more closed off, and it just hasn't happened. I love watching Giannis play, and I love Giannis's attitude. He is easy to root for. And look, the league, every league needs villains, right? Kevin Durant is a good villain. He's a guy who's easy to root against. LeBron is a villain. In a lot of to a lot of people, Kyrie is a villain to a lot of people. The league needs villains. It needs animosity. It needs conflict. That keeps it spicy. That keeps it interesting. But at the same time, you can't only have villains. You need good dudes too. And Giannis is at the top of that list. He is maybe the easiest guy in the NBA to, to, to root for. He stayed in Milwaukee when everybody said he needed to go to a bigger market. He won a title when everybody thought that he couldn't. He's a great story of coming from nothing, living in Greece, to, to winning a championship. And he really is right. Giannis is changing the narrative about himself. Even last year in the playoffs, I said, and I'm not the only one, but I said it, I said Giannis was a great athlete and not necessarily a great player. He is changing that narrative. He says, I want to be known as more than the guy who dunks and the guy who runs. He, he is doing that. That step back three he hit last night against Brooklyn was incredible. I believe that it tied it at 117. He went 15 of 19 at the foul line last night. Remember, last year, they, they like the Bucks couldn't even have him on the floor at the end of games because he was so poor of a free-throw shooter. This year, he's 72% at the line. His three-point percentage is largely the same as it's been, so it's still a work in progress, but I feel a lot better about his shooting ability than I ever have before. Giannis is changing the narrative. What what he has done is incredibly impressive, and I'm not you know, super into like who's the MVP and all that. 
Embiid's great. Doncic is great. Giannis is great. Giannis is a multi-time MVP, and he is still finding ways to add to his game, and he's not complacent, especially after winning a title. It is all super impressive. Uh, Final Four this weekend, both men and women. I am excited to watch both sets of Final Fours. I'm going to go home tonight and watch. You know, we got, what, South Carolina and Louisville on the women's side at 7 in about six minutes from now. But at 9.30, UConn and Stanford. I'm really excited to watch that game. Stanford is a number one seed. Russell Wilson's sister is on that team. And uh, for UConn, they've got a Vermonter on staff. Morgan Valley, the Rice Memorial product. She played college basketball at UConn. She's been a longtime Division I coach. She was most recently the Hartford University head coach. She's on staff at UConn now after leaving Hartford. So I got a rooting interest now. I'm rooting for UConn. And UConn, for once, is the underdog. They're the only non-number one seed in this in this Final Four. And they haven't won a title in like eight years. So I'm, I'm into the women's game tonight. Women's games tonight. And then tomorrow, you know, the, the the main event on the men's slate, Villanova, Kansas, and and Duke, North Carolina. I think it's going to be a great weekend of sports. It's going to be a great weekend of basketball. I'm going to watch the Celtics tonight against the Pacers. And by the time we come in here on Monday, we're going to be four days away from opening day. This, this is a great time. I love it. I love it. Red Sox lost today against the Rays in spring training. Rich Hill gave up nine runs in four innings. That's not so 11 hits, nine runs. That's not so good. So hopefully he's got things fixed fixed uh, by uh, his first start of the year. So, uh, yeah, Monday, by the way, we are going to have Red Sox baseball on the air. So spring training action for the Sox as they take on the Twins again. So uh, Sox-Twins on Monday. We'll react to it all when we come in here on Monday afternoon. Brady Farkas Show will be back at it on Monday at 530. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll tell you how I ran on Monday. We'll see you then, everybody. It's WDVA.